You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. What's interesting about that particular video is that all of the things that are kind of lifted up, that are spoken of and affirmed in that video, we receive by faith. We weren't there when Jesus was crucified on the cross. We weren't there when he was resurrected from the dead. We weren't there when he was taken up into heaven when he ascended to the Father. A lot of that we know just because there were eyewitnesses to that. We weren't there, but we receive all of that by faith. Again, that's the role that faith is intended to play in our lives. It's why it's such a crucial part of who we are and, and how we live and move as believers. And so that's where we've been taking time to really kind of look into the story of the you know, examples of faith that are given to us there in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're kind of looking at their lives, their stories, their walk of faith as a way to really kind of understand, maybe in a deeper way, the role that faith needs to play in our life by looking at their example. Because it was through their example of faith that they learned how to please God. Now again, the one common thread that you will find if you've kind of been in this series with us, is that the faith these men and and women, we're going to get to some women here in in the coming weeks, uh, the faith that these men and women demonstrated there, it was directly connected to, it correlated to a very specific promise God had given them. So this, what we're talking about here in Hebrews 11, it isn't just faith in faith or, or faith in God in a very general or vague sense. We're talking about faith that they exhibited that was directly tied to and correlated to a very specific promise God had given to them. So we first looked at Abel. He was the first one that Hebrews 11 mentions. And what was the promise Abel was putting his faith in. Remember, God told both Cain and Abel, if you're going to approach me, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to have fellowship with me, if you're going to have forgiveness of sin, you are going to have to come through the blood of a sacrificed animal, a proper sacrifice. And you remember in the story that they both knew that. They both understood what God required. Abraham did what God said, and he was rewarded in that his offering was accepted. Cain rejected that. He chose to do his own thing, and he was rejected. But Abel put his faith. He responded to the promise of God. If you'll do this, I will do this. And Abel was obedient in that. Next is Enoch. Remember Enoch? He kind of comes, and there's just rampant evil and wickedness upon the earth. And God has reached a point where he just could no longer tolerate it. And he says, you know what? We're just going to get rid of all life. And so he kind of speaks through Enoch. And he kind of says judgment is coming upon the earth. And you remember that uh, Enoch, he has a son. He is so convinced in what God has spoken that he names his son Methuselah in response to that promise that God was going to judge the earth. If you were here when we talked about that, you remember that the name Methuselah in the Hebrew meant after him it will come. What will come? The flood. And that's exactly what happened. Methuselah lived the longest, 969 years, the longest of any man. 
And after his death, immediately the flood of God came. Next in Hebrews 11 was Noah. You remember what God's promise was to Noah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something upon the earth that's never, ever been done before. And it was called a flood. Now, we know what floods are. We see them all the time. But back in Noah's day, they'd never had a flood, much less even rain that fell from the sky. And yet he believed that God was going to do what he said he did. What was God's promise to Noah? He says, build an ark, and I will save you and your family. Again, these, these men, they exhibited, they walked faith according to very specific promises that God had given them. They're not just having faith to have faith. Not just faith, oh, in, in God in some very vague way. That it was tied, it was, it was directly correlated to a very specific promise, and that's what they stood on. That was their faith. Last several weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham and how faith led him to leave his homeland, the Ur of Chaldees, at the age of 76. And God said, I'm going to take you to a distant land, and I'm going to use that land as an inheritance for you and your descendants. We saw Abraham's faith kind of being lived out in the birth of a son that he thought was fulfilled through Hagar in the birth of Ishmael. And God came back and said, no, no, my promise is with you and Sarah, and you're going to bring forth a son, and you're going to name him Isaac, and it will be through Isaac that I'm going to bring forth your descendants, and they will be more than the stars of the sky. And so again, they believed that God was going to do that despite their age. We talked about that one. Last week, we looked at Abraham's faith expressed in the offering of his son Isaac. And again, I want to stress each of these individuals that we've looked at so far in Hebrews 11, again, the one thing they have in common is their faith is tied to, it's being walked out, it's being lived out on a very specific promise that God gave them saying, this is what I am going to do. This is my plan. This is my promise for your life. And the same is true for us. To have faith in faith is no good. It's not going to get you anywhere. It'll do nothing for you. The expression of our faith in God has got to be tied to and connected to a very specific promise or promises that God has given us. Again, his word is full of promises. And no matter what you're going through, there is a promise in God's word that specifically corresponds to that need, that situation, that circumstance in your life. And as you unite that promise of God with that specific need in your life, and you just stand firm on that, regardless of what happens around you, regardless of the circumstances and situations that may unfold around you, like those in Hebrews 11, as you just stand firm on the promises of God, you will be walking and abiding in faith. And when we do that, the Bible says this is the kind of faith that pleases God. When we just stand on his promise despite what may be happening around us, this is the kind of faith that God rewards. So let's turn our attention now to the son of promise to Abraham and Sarah, the son of covenant, Isaac, Hebrews 11.20, and we're kind of just picking up in our series here in Hebrews 11. It says, it was by faith that Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his, of his sons, Jacob and Esau. 
Now, I'll be honest with you, as I kind of just read this one sentence, if you know anything about the story of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah, I mean, you would be tempted to think that this really should read in Hebrews 11. It was by deception that Isaac promised blessings for his future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was through trickery. It was through scheming. I mean, here's a story of a wife and two sons who took advantage of an old man who was kind of blind. And so I read this, and, and I see these words. It was by faith. I'm thinking it was anything other than faith. So what's going on in the story? I mean, why would Hebrews say it's by faith when the story kind of indicates anything other than that, at least in my humble? So let's go back to Genesis. Look at the story. Here's what we know about Abraham and Sarah so far. Remember that Abraham and Sarah, they give birth to Isaac. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. She's barren. She's never been able to have children. She's beyond childbearing years, and yet God steps in and says, here's my promise, and God does what only God can do. And then they bring forth a son named Isaac, and God says to them very, very specifically, it is through Isaac, not Ishmael. I'll bless Ishmael, but my covenant is with Isaac, and I will bring forth nations and kings through this seed of Isaac. And in that included that eventually would come the, the Messiah. And so Abraham has this promise regarding his son Isaac. And this is a, a promise Isaac, I think, would have heard repeatedly. I think this was something that would have just been drilled into his head. I think this is something that Abraham and Sarah would have talked to Isaac about numerous times. Here's the promise that God has given specifically to you. I would imagine as Abraham and Isaac are making their way toward Mount Moriah, where Abraham is about to offer up Isaac as an as a, uh, offering, a burnt offering, I would imagine that Abraham, as they make their way, is reminding Isaac of God's promise to him. So Isaac gets married, and he and his wife, Rebecca, eventually becomes pregnant. She has a little bit of trouble, too, getting pregnant. But Genesis 25, beginning in verse 1, it said, The Lord answered Isaac's prayer. Isaac began to pray and say, God, you, you, you made a promise to me that it was through me. And my descendants, and yet, God, we can't have children. And so he prays, and he asks God, and Genesis says that God answers Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah becomes pregnant with twins. First time twins had ever been born in the Bible. First set of twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. And this bothered Rebecca, so she goes to the Lord and she asks the Lord about this. And she said, why is this happening to me? Why do I feel like there's a struggle in my womb? And the Lord said to her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. And he said, from the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Now again, this is not the kind of news any new expectant mother wants to hear, Right? I mean, I'm pretty sure and I'm pretty confident that Rebecca shares this with Isaac. And as she shares this with Isaac, there's kind of just this sense of, oh no, what does this mean? This was not what they were wanting to hear. The last sentence, again, it kind of just reveals to you the degree of conflict, the degree of difficulty that's really going to come forth. 
Because biblically, culturally, traditionally, it's the younger son who serves the older son, not vice versa. And here you've got God saying, we're going to kind of flip that. In the culture of this time, a birthright was a sacred honor to the firstborn. It bestowed upon them kind of this privileged status of being maybe the next head of the household should something happen to dad. You know, if something happens to me, son, firstborn, it's upon you to take care of mom and the other children. The status of firstborn, it kind of carried with it the right to inherit the father's estate. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 21, 17, it instructed the son that was the firstborn would receive a double portion of his father's estate. So there's just a lot to be gained in having that advantage of being the firstborn. So I want you just to hold that thought for a moment. So Rebecca gives birth to two boys. Now what is interesting is in most cases, names are either chosen or God may kind of give them, here's what I want you to call the child. And oftentimes it would represent a prophetic word of what God's speaking into the life in terms of a destiny, a promise, a plan for that particular child. It could be just a prayer that the parents are praying into the child. God, here's what we want you to do in this child's life. And so the name would often reflect a, a prophecy, a prayer, a desire of the parents. We've talked about, again, the importance of names here many times. Now what I find interesting is that Rebecca knows she's having twins with this earlier encounter where she goes to God and says, hey, what is this I'm feeling inside? So she knows she's pregnant. God says, you've got twins in there, and they're both boys. So she knows ahead of time before she even gives birth that it's twins and they're both boys. But what I find interesting is that they wait until the boys are born to name them. Well, how do I know that? Well, because as the first boy comes forth, the scriptures know that, that, that as he comes out, they just see, man, he is just covered in hair. And so you know what they called him? Harry. That's what Esau means in the Hebrew, Harry. And so they kind of see him and they say, Harry. And that's what they named him. And as Harry is coming out, the other boy's kind of coming down the birth canal, and apparently the scripture says he kind of reaches out and he grabs the heel of Harry. And as mom and dad are standing there kind of watch all of this unfold, they kind of say, well, you little heel grabber. And that's what they named him, Jacob, because that's what Jacob in the, old in the Hebrew means, heel grabber, deceiver. So they're kind of watching this, and they said, well, here's Harry, Here's little heel grabber. And so that's what they named him. Makes me wonder what they would have called Esau if he didn't have so much hair. Maybe naked. Yeah, I don't know. So based on their birth, you kind of get this sense that Jacob, you know, as he's maybe reaching out to grab the heel of Esau, Harry, maybe he's kind of got, again, that this rivalry between them is such that he's like, no, 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 not so fast. I'm going to go first. I don't know if he's reaching out to try to pull him back into the womb so he can get out first, that he can have the privilege of being the firstborn. Again, remember, the Lord said, these, they're going to be they're going to be rivalry between these two. And man, it was in the womb. It says they're coming out the womb. There is just rivalry happening between these two. Again, this is so interesting. So Esau, he is born first, 
Uh, Jacob is the younger son. Therefore, Esau is given that sacred privilege and honor of being the firstborn and all of the benefits that come with it. Now, based upon God's promise to Abraham, again, what was that promise? He said, from your descendants, from your son, the son you and Sarah are going to have, okay, is going to come forth nations and kings. And in particular, in that lineage, there is going to come uh, the Messiah who is going to redeem God's people from their sins. So you just kind of add that into the rivalry mix that's already there between, um, you know, Harry and heel grabber, and you kind of get this sense that, that, that one of them is going to be chosen to, to carry forth and to fulfill their role, their part of God's promise to Abraham, because it goes from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to his children. One of them is going to fulfill that promise. Now, again, in, in, the, in this day, this culture, it would traditionally be the firstborn. In this case, Harry, Esau. So there's a lot involved in this particular story that would not be there if Rebecca just would have had one son. I mean, that would have just solved everything. One son, no issue, no question, no doubt. He's the one. So Esau and Jacob were born, Genesis 25, beginning in verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Jacob was kind of the bookworm. Jacob was the one that kind of hung out with Grandpa Abraham. And just he, he just was learning everything that Abraham knew about faith and about God. Um, and, and Esau, he's an outdoorsman. He didn't have time for this. There was no interest. He, he didn't like any of that. So Isaac loved Esau because Isaac enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So you add into this mix, you've got this, this rivalry between these brothers, Jacob and Esau, and you also now have a mom and a dad who are playing favorites. I mean, sometimes we don't read the stories the, the way they're really written. We try to read them with rose-colored glasses, and we think that all the biblical families are just so harmonious and wonderful. But boy, I'll tell you what. You read these stories at face value, there was some messed up stuff happening in these families. Now, at this point, two very, very significant events unfold between Esau and Jacob. And they just have huge, or like Trump says, huge, huge ramifications, not just on them, but on their futures, but uh, on this family as a whole. Now remember, Esau, by virtue of being the firstborn, he's the first one out of the womb, has this sacred honor and privilege of the birthright and all of the benefits and privileges that come with that. Jacob understands this, and Jacob wants it. That's part of the rivalry. He wants that birthright. And he's going to do what he has to do. He's going to scheme. He's going to do everything possible to get that from Esau. So one day as Esau's coming back from hunting, Esau's really tired. He's very hungry. And he finds Jacob in the kitchen whipping up a meal. Verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Jacob replied, all right. But trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Esau replied, look, I'm dying of starvation. 
What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob insisted, saying, you must first swear an oath that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentils too. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. Esau showed contempt or disregard for his rights as a firstborn. Now that last statement there, it really sums up a lot about the character and the integrity of Esau. That he would be so willing to just forfeit and to give up something so precious, so sacred, so valuable for one lousy meal. It says a lot about the kind of person Esau was. That's the first significant event that will have huge ramifications. Second significant event occurs at the beginning of Genesis 27. Isaac is an old man. His eyesight is failing him. Some translations read he's going blind. He thinks he's about to die, so before he dies, he wants to do something that was very, very traditional in that culture, and that is he wants to give, he wants to bestow and pronounce his blessing to the firstborn, which in, in this case is Esau. I don't know, it, and scriptures doesn't give any indication whether Isaac knew what happened between Esau and Jacob in the selling of the birthright. But Isaac calls Esau in and tells him in verse two, he says, I'm an old man now. Isaac said, I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows. Go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then, he says, I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So Esau, he kind of goes off in fulfilling his father's request. Meanwhile, Rebekah, over here, she's kind of eavesdropping on the conversation between Isaac and Esau. And she hears of Isaac's plan to pronounce the blessing of the firstborn over Esau. Now, Rebekah knows that Jacob or Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob. And so Rebekah and Jacob kind of put their heads together and they come up with a plan in order to deceive Isaac into giving to Jacob the firstborn blessing. So Rebekah kind of tells Jacob, I want you to go out, get a couple of young goats, bring them in here, give me the meat, and I will prepare a meal that I know your father will love. And so uh, Rebekah prepares the meal. Jacob takes the goat's skin because, you know, Jacob was kind of almost the opposite in Esau. Esau was very, very hairy. Jacob had very little hair. And so the Bible says that his arms were very smooth and hairless compared to Esau. His neck was very smooth and hairless. And so part of the deception is, is he's going to take the goat's skin and he's going to kind of put it on his arms and he's going to put it around his neck because he wants to try to convince Isaac he is Esau. And mom comes in with, with kind of uh, Esau's favorite outfit. She says, here, put this on. It'll kind of give Esau's body aroma. So it'll be the smell. It'll be the feel of the goat's uh, hair on your arms. And we're just going to trick this old man into thinking you're Esau. And he's going to give you uh, the firstborn blessing. 
So the meal's prepared. Jacob takes it in and gives it to his father. Now, what's interesting, if you go back and read the story, is Isaac kind of knows right away something's not right. He suspects that, 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 that this is Jacob. And, and he questions, why are you back so quick? And, and, and Jacob, who's posing as Esau, said, oh, the, the, the Lord just kind of put the deer right in my path. He made it very easy for me to get the game, to get back here quickly. And, and so there's this conversation that's kind of unfolding between Isaac and Jacob. And Isaac kind of, you know, he's thinking, you know, he, he feels Jacob's arms and he says, man, he says, you know, you, you've kind of got the arms of Esau, but the voice of Jacob. And so Isaac's kind of thinking, something's not right here. I mean, th this just doesn't sound like Esau. And I, was, I, meant, I didn't mention this first service, but I kind of asked Mark and Judy Malky, they've got identical twin boys, which Isaac and Esau were, or Jacob and Esau were. And so I, I said to them, if you were blindfolded in a way that you could not see, um, and you were to bring in your sons, Brett and Ryan, would you be able to tell the difference between who, was, who it was just based on their voice alone? They said, maybe not right away, but eventually, very, very quickly, just based on language uh, that they would, words that they would use, uh, just tone and inflections and that kind of thing. They said, eventually, they would be able to tell with a great degree of certainty that who was who. So as I'm kind of reading the story, I'm kind of reading that because I'm thinking, at some point, Isaac's got to know that this is Jacob posing as Esau. But because I like to be true to what I believe is what the scriptures are teaching is you get the sense that um, just based on the, the arms and the back of the neck, the, and, and he smells the clothing on Jacob, which is Esau's, and he says, man, you smell like the outdoors. And so the scripture says he's convinced that this is Esau, even though it sounds like Jacob. And so he eats the meal, and then he gives to Jacob the blessing of the firstborn, which he thought he was giving to Esau. Are you following this story? It's, it, it's a, there's a lot of twists and turns in here. So I want, it, I want you to see the blessing Isaac gives to who he thinks is Esau. Verse 28, from the dew of heaven and the riches of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants. May they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. All who bless you will be blessed. Now, no sooner was that blessing bestowed that Esau, the real Esau, kind of comes walking in, and he realizes what has happened. I mean, the scripture says Isaac, the father, just becomes immediately upset because he realizes, I've been deceived, I've been tricked here. Esau, Harry, he's very, very upset because he realizes, and he basically says, you deceiver. Remember, that's what, that's what he's, his name, Jacob. You deceiver, you heel grabber. First you steal my birthright, now you steal my blessing. And he becomes so angry at Jacob. For the, again, just for the scheming, the deception, the trickery. And he begs his father. Esau begs his father, Father, please, please. It says through tears, he begs his father, please give me a blessing. Because see, once the blessing is given, it can never be taken back. Now, Isaac could have decided before he did that, I'm going to give the firstborn blessing to Jacob rather than Esau. But once it was given, it could never be taken back. And Esau pleads, Father, please, there's got to be at least one more blessing in there for me. 
And so Isaac says to Esau, I will bless you. And then he gives the blessing in verse 39. You will live away from the richness of earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword. He was an outdoorsman. And you will serve your brother exactly. Remember what God told Rebecca when she was pregnant with him? The older one's going to serve the younger one. He said, but when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Now, there you've got kind of, an, and what Pastor Jim talked about this morning is he kind of picked up the story where Jacob basically has to leave. This is the story, kind of in a nutshell, regarding Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, the birthright, the blessing. Now, again, if you've understood anything that I've said and the way I've explained this, again, how can the writer in Hebrews 20 say that it was by faith that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau with promised blessings for the future. Isaac was tricked. He was kind of duped. I mean, he, he was hoodwinked. He was deceived by Jacob posing as Esau. Esau who sold his birthright for a meal. I mean, again, this is one huge tangled mess. And like I said at the beginning, it's more by deception, by trickery, not faith, that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. I mean, blessing by faith to me would kind of maybe necessitate some intentionality that you kind of know who you're blessing. So what in the world is going on here? And what is Hebrews 11:20? What's it talking about when it says he did this by faith? Again, let me just remind you, what is faith without attaching it to a promise from God? Without a promise from God, there is nothing to put faith into. There's nothing to activate your faith. Now, what's interesting is most Bible commentators, and again, if you've got references in, in your Bible, meaning if you, you know, go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, in most of your Bibles, if you've got a reference in here, that reference in Hebrews eleven twenty 20 will point you back to Genesis 27, 27 through 39, where it, it gives the blessings that Isaac had given uh, to uh, who he thought was Esau, but was really Jacob. So, so they reference, this is what Isaac did by faith. But I, I, just, I didn't get it. I, I didn't see where, where was faith activated in any of that. Not to mention, I felt like there's something huge missing in this. I mean, there's no reference. Isaac does not draw in any of the promises that God gave to Abraham. It goes from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac's getting ready to pass this blessing on. There's no mention of the promise that God gave to Abraham. So I'm thinking, something's missing here. What's going on here? One of these boys, Esau or Jacob, one of them was to kind of carry on the legacy. They, they were the ones that were going to be used to fulfill that promise that God had given to Abraham. So it's either going to be through Jacob or Esau's seed that the promised Messiah was eventually going to come. And again, if you go back there in Genesis 27 and you look at the blessings Isaac pronounced over Jacob, who was really pretending to be Esau, and then he gives a blessing to Esau, there's no indication in any of that who's going to carry forth the promises of Abraham that were given to Isaac to pass on to his seed. The blessings Isaac gave were nice, wonderful blessings. 
but they were lacking some key information. Until I got to Genesis 28, I was finally able to make some sense out of all of this. This past Thursday, I'm sitting in the dentist office waiting for my uh, kids to get done. And it just kind of hit me. Following the fiasco involving Isaac, Jacob, Esau, the blessing, as Pastor Jim said, Esau, Harry, he is so mad. At, I was just enraged. So much so that he wanted to kill Jacob. So Rebecca, she goes to Isaac and she tells Isaac of the scenario. And she says, we got to send Jacob away. Because if he stays here, Esau's going to kill him. So you have got to send Jacob away. And so Jacob decides he's going to send Jacob, or Isaac decides he's going to send Jacob to Uncle Laban's house. And he's just going to tell him, go there and find a wife. And just stay there until things kind of cool down or your brother dies. So before Jacob leaves, Isaac calls him in. Genesis 28, beginning with verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob. Now he knows it's Jacob. There's no deception here. Okay, he knows that who he is about to bless, the words he is about to speak, he knows he's speaking this to Jacob. Now again, compare this back to Genesis 27. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, I'm going to jump down to verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. This is the blessing Isaac gave by faith. Why? Because it involves the promises that God gave to Abraham. This is what Hebrews 11.20 is referring to. This not the blessing Isaac gave in Genesis 27. This was the blessing Isaac had for Jacob all along. Go back and look at when he thinks it's Esau, what he, the, the first one that he gives to Jacob who's posing at Esau. And then you look at the actual blessing that Isaac gave to Esau. There's a lot of similarities in there. It's kind of more of a watered down version. But when he gets to Jacob, who he knows is Jacob, he really gives him that blessing by faith, and he attaches the promises of God to Abraham in that. And this was the blessing Isaac had for Jacob all along. And Rebekah and Jacob didn't have to resort to deception, to scheming, to lying, to trickery to get it. Rebekah must have thought when she overheard the conversation initially between Isaac and Esau and the blessing of the firstborn, Rebekah must have thought that what Isaac eventually said to Jacob is what he was going to say to Esau. And she wanted that blessing for Jacob. And so she felt this need to intervene and to kind of try to finagle to get for Jacob what she thought was rightfully his. So all of the scheming, this is the thing, one of the things I want you to see in this, all of the scheming, all of the deception on Re Rebecca and Jacob's part was not necessary because when Isaac knew it was Jacob, he had a very, very specific blessing for him. And it's exactly what was promised to Abraham 
to Isaac, and Isaac is simply passing it on now to the next generation and Jacob's descendants. This is what Isaac does by faith, and this is what Hebrews 11.20 is pointing to. What Isaac said to Jacob, posing to be Esau there in Genesis 27, was for Esau. And it's why Isaac basically gives, again, a watered-down version to Esau when he figures out he had been tricked. The point here being that in order for faith to operate again, it's got to be tied to a promise of God. What Isaac pronounces over Jacob there in Genesis 28 is tied to the promise God gave to Abraham, and it's now just working its way through the descendants. From Abraham to Isaac, Isaac who has the twins, he's got to make a decision. God says it's to go to Jacob. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It, folks, if there's no word, if there's no promise of God, there's nothing to put your faith in. In order to exercise biblical faith, the faith that pleases God, the faith that God rewards, we need to be standing on his word and on his promises. Let me just tell you, I said at the beginning that this whole thing had dire consequences for this family. Let me just tell you, this little stunt by Rebecca and Jacob in deceiving Isaac had some very dire consequences because of Esau's deep rage and revenge and Jacob having to leave to go to Uncle Laban's house and stay there. This resulted in Jacob never seeing Rebecca, his mother, again, whom she loved dearly. This also understandably put a great deal of strain upon Isaac and Rebecca's relationship as Rebecca came up with the plan to deceive her husband, Isaac. And the whole point is, rather than just trusting God and believing that God had a plan, that it was God's plan all along for the blessing that Rebecca desired for Jacob, that that was God's plan, God's heart, God, God's gonna make that happen, Rebecca doesn't trust God to do it. So she steps in, she comes up with a plan, it's deception, it's scheming, it's conniving, it's lying. Rather than just trusting God and just believing that God is going to do what God needs to do, God is going to bring about what God needs to bring about, no, she decides she's got to step in and she's got to kind of start tinkering and pulling strings and kind of scheming and making sure what she thinks needs to happen happens because she knows better than God. She paid a steep price for her scheming. We either trust God wholly and completely, or we'll just make a mess out of it when we try to take matters out of God's hand and into our own. Because after all, we know better, right? Whatever God has promised to do, we just need to trust that he will bring it about and that we don't need to engage in deception or scheming or lying or stealing or cheating to bring it to pass on our own. Again, the kind of faith that pleases God is a faith that, number one, believes that God is, that he exists, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that God is faithful to his promises, and that God is more than able to do above and beyond all we could think or ask to bring that about and to fulfill his promises for our lives. Amen? Let's stand. I, I, I have to admit to you, this is like the second Sunday in a row. I have like a little booklet that's got like 199 promises of God. 
Last Sunday, I, I held the book up and was advertising the book and, and just said, you know, if you're here this morning and you don't have a promise from God, again, there's a, a booklet with 199 promises in God. The Bible contains all of the promises of God, and there are more than 199, but this little book is just kind of unique in that it kind of just takes a lot of them and puts it into a book. And so I was encouraging people at first service, get this book. Find a promise from God that, that correlates specifically to a need, a situation, a circumstance in your life that you want God's promise, that particular promise, to come to pass for you. So, for example, if you're here and you've got financial issues, there's a lot of promises in the Bible that God gives concerning provision and prosperity. So sometimes it's just finding that specific promise that God has for you, and, and you just unite that promise with your circumstance, and you just stand on that promise, and you know that God is going to do what he promises to do in your life. That's, that's the kind of faith God's looking for. That's the kind of faith that he rewards. And so I had this booklet, $2. Um, we sold out of them all after first service last week. So we ordered 20 more, thinking that would be more than enough for both services. Sold out again, first service. So we have now ordered 80 books. So hopefully next week there will be some scraps for you. Or you can just get up early and get here for first service uh, and claim your copy then. Amen. So we'll, we'll definitely have those books. But again, my point being that all of you, God has at least one. And I would say multitude of promises for you. It is so important for you to find out what are God's specific promises from his word for me. And again, it'll correlate to your circumstance, situation, what you're going through. And you just take those promises and you just begin to incorporate them. You just begin to stand on them. You just kind of begin to focus on them, regardless of what's going on around you. And you just stand on these promises. Again, that's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith that rewards. Father, we just thank you so much that your word says, Lord, that when we come to you, God, we just need to believe that you exist, that you are a rewarder of those who just diligently and just, again, passionately seek you. Your word says, Father, that it really is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And so, Father, I just pray for both faith and patience. Father, I pray faith for those who are standing upon promises, specific promises that you have given to them through your word that really pertain to, speak to something specific in their life. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll just give them faith to stand on that promise, God, not to waver in unbelief, not to doubt it, Father, but just to stand upon your word knowing that you are faithful, that you are more than able to fulfill that promise for them. And God, in the meantime, I pray that you'll also give us patience because it's by faith in your promises and it is by the uniting of patience with that that we, the scripture says, will inherit the promises. So God, let us not grow weary. Let us not become impatient. But God, just anchor our hearts. Ground us in those promises and Father, I pray, Lord, that we would also not be like Rebecca and Jacob, God, that we just feel like there's things that we need to do 
that we need to kind of scheme, and God, we need to kind of just pull certain strings to make something happen, but God, you can be trusted to fulfill your word wholly and completely to us. And God, all you're calling us to do is just to stand, to trust, and believe. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us faith and patience, and through that, we will inherit your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we close this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.